You're listening to Photo Tea with Anissa D, where we share all things related to photography. Welcome to episode nine of Photo Tea with Anissa D. Today, we're going to be talking about how to make your photography business legal with the one and only Paige Griffith, owner of The Legal Page. So Paige, if you could please introduce yourself and share a little bit about you and who you are, what your background is, that'd be great. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. So my name is Paige Griffith. I am the owner and lead attorney at The Legal Page. We here at TLP help small business owners and particularly photographers and wedding industry professionals get legally legit without breaking into hives. So we have podcasts and blogs and YouTube videos all for free for business owners to learn about different topics related to their business or needs at that time or questions that they may have. Our goal and the whole reason I created the legal page was to ensure that people have good access to legal information and that legal stuff isn't so scary and is more approachable because I want business owners to feel like they have a safe space to ask questions. They aren't constantly going down Google rabbit holes on all these different sites trying to find the right answer and they all say different things. And I want to be able to efficiently and effectively answer those questions, especially for photographers. So we have contracts and legal documents available in the legal page shop for purchase for your specific business. So on top of all of the free education that we give, we do offer digital products that you can purchase and use within minutes for your specific need. We have over 300 products. We have full length contract templates. We have like short forms. If you need contract addendums or amendments for particular purposes, if you need all the cart clauses and you want to beef up your contract and add things to your existing contract, we have those as well. But that is a little bit about myself and the business as a whole. Personally, I live in Montana and I am a mom to a young little boy and a wife to my awesome husband and a dog mom. Many of you who may have followed me for a while know that my dog Sugar has been around for quite a few years now and she's a huge part of our life too. So that is a little bit about me personally and business-wise too. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. I don't know if you mentioned, but you also started off as a photographer, right? So how did you kind of get into your business in the space itself? Yeah. The the trajectory for the legal page has been kind of a windy road, but I was a photographer in law school. It's kind of this weird duality of a skill set and like brain wavelength that I have. So I was reading and writing the law kind of all day long and I really needed a creative outlet. I'd always wanted to do photography. I reached out to a good photographer friend that I have here in Montana and he kind of pointed me, you know, to like a Canon and a nifty 50. And so that's where I started. And lo and behold, I loved photography, got really into it, but I loved entrepreneurship even more. And so it was like my side hustle in law school to make a little bit of money, but also as a creative outlet, all while (laughs) academia was controlling my everyday life. Mm -hmm. But I really, truly found a passion for growing my business and leaning into customer service and, of course, delivering like quality photographs and a quality experience. So that led me to building my photography business quite substantially in a few years. After law school, I went 
to work for a federal judge all the meanwhile, still running my photography business. So I fully had two full-time businesses at that time. That was like a crazy moment in my life. I could not have done it if I was married <laughs> and had a kid. Like, still a like, superhero. It's I was so like, impressive. I don't even know. I don't even know how I did that. I look back on that time. And I was <laughs> on a different planet. Powers. So yep. yeah, the, the hustle season is what I like to call it. I was hustling hard. And I just didn't know, like, I didn't know if I wanted to take this traditional law path and go work for a firm. I wasn't sure if I was going to continue on with photography forever and kind of like not use my law degree. But during that time, it was a really pivotal transition for me. And I'm so blessed and grateful that I had two years of transition after law school because oftentimes people can get on a train track that they can't get off of. And I was able to have a little bit of time to press pause, still work as a clerk for a federal judge, but not have to decide, okay, what is my resume building going to look like? What is my career path going to look like? And I've said this on quite a few podcasts before and when I'm speaking at conferences, but I owe a lot of the path that I have been taking thus far to this particular federal judge. You never think that a seven-year-old man who <laughs> has been in the legal world for a while would sit down with me and tell me, Paige, I think you're going to do something different. And it's okay to not take the traditional path. And I urge you to kind of combine your two passions into one and see what comes of it. Alas, the legal page was born. I was combining my photography passions and entrepreneur passions with my legal passions. I saw that there was kind of a void in the wedding industry in particular because I was shooting weddings at the time and I was going to conferences and I was realizing like people had a lot of questions about contracts and legalities. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there were some educators out there, but I think with my particular skill set and experience, I was able to kind of tackle those a little bit differently. Since then, that was 2018 and the legal page is going strong ever since. I love that. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's always so interesting to hear like how other people got started in their business and just the fact that you started off as a photographer, you know, and also in the legal space and were able to combine the two and grow your business from there is awesome. And I think one of the things that is really challenging is really figuring out how to navigate those like beginner steps because that's stuff that they don't really teach you in school or just in general, especially if you're like, I studied math and you studied laws, like how do you run a business, right? So I'd kind of love to hear a little bit more from you on like the first thing that you would recommend a photographer or just entrepreneur do when starting their business. Yeah, absolutely. I had a couple notes written down here, but you guys, I'm going to go off the cuff because yes. I feel like what we're trying to tell you as well is not just the legal stuff. When I was first starting, right, I was still in law school. I didn't know everything that I know now. I didn't have the contract experience that I have now. I don't have the small business legal experience that I have now. And so when I was starting out, I would say that social media is your best free marketing tool that you can use. And so utilize it to, you know, the utmost advantage that you can. I feel like I really did that well. Um, you know, like Facebook groups were like a big yes. deal, right? in your Facebook page back then. So I really boosted my business Facebook page as well as really leaning into Instagram and social media. Yes. I think now you can gain a lot with TikTok. You can gain a lot with YouTube. 
But if you're particularly trying to like reach out to your ideal clients, I know that they're on those two platforms. I can guarantee it. So like that's the very first thing I would recommend is like you can start a business with nothing and just, I mean, I'm going to talk about contracts, but you could like bullet point a contract out yourself and have social media and voila, you have a business. But... you know, to do the extra things and like make yourself more professional and more protected, get a website, focus in on ensuring that you have a really solid website with good SEO. I focused on that when I first started photography and it, you know, 10 times me in just 12 months. Mm -hmm. Now in terms of legalities, because that's what I'm here for, I just thought it would be important for you guys to know, like I've been there, like I built a photography business from the ground up as well. So we're we're all in this boat together, but the legal page here and put on my, you know, lawyer hat and tell you that you can write a contract yourself with bullet points. I don't recommend it. It's absolutely something you can do and portions of it will probably be upheld, but the vast majority of your contract is probably going to be invalid. Just, I have to say as an attorney, contracts can be written on napkins. It is the law. There are, (laughs) there's cases about it. So I always tell people, when they ask me like, can I write my own contracts? Yes. Should you? No. Different answer. But after you do kind of the basic like marketing, getting your business out there, I really, really don't want you taking on clients and having any exchange of funds. I call them the cha-ching moments without a contract in place or contracts, right? If you have different offerings, one for sessions, one for weddings, so on and so forth. The next one is at least register your business name. If you're a sole proprietor, we're going to get into that a little bit, but you know, a sole proprietorship is just your default business entity. When you're like, voila, I have a social media account and like, I'm a photographer now, but your business name that you chose, it's just kind of like out in no man's land, but you can register your business name with your state. If you want to stay a sole proprietor, if you choose to have a little bit more liability protection, then I suggest registering your business as an LLC. Again, you guys stay with us. We're going to talk about it. Number three is a business bank account. I honestly don't care if you are a sole proprietor or an LLC. I highly recommend getting a separate business bank account. It's one way better for taxes at the end of the year. You're not commingling funds. You're not trying to figure all that out. All of your income and expenses is coming in and out of that one business bank account. And then for liability purposes too, I just don't suggest that you mix your personal assets with your business one. It just does not make sense, especially if something were to happen claim-wise or if you had a fraudulent transaction or any chargeback issues. There's so many things online that we need to deal with. So I just think a separate business bank account is honestly the way to go. And then number four is insurance, particularly for photography. Photographers. We're going to talk about that more as well. But I just kind of wanted to give you guys like the one, two, three, four that you can write down or think about as we're going through this episode here. Yeah, that's all super helpful. And I wish that I had seen like that step-by-step checklist when I was starting off because you're in the beginning of starting your business and you're like, what do I need? What are the things to check off here? So that was really helpful. And we'll definitely be diving into that throughout this episode. But one of my big questions and something that I actually experienced myself is, at what point do you recommend getting a contract? Like, is it ever too early? What are your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, no, never too early. I tell people like get a model contract. If you're starting your business and you're just like trying to have styled shoots to build up your portfolio, get yourself a model contract. There are so many things that can go wrong when like photographs are involved or like if you're doing styled shoots with multiple vendors, there's things that can go wrong there. I've been privy to all of them, not only as a photographer, but as a lawyer who gets constant inquiries about issues. Mm -hmm. So take it from me that these things happen on the daily. And just because you all have the best of intentions working together, whether that's like your cousin's friend that's going to post Mm -hmm. for you, or it's a vendor that you've created created a good relationship with in your downtown area. It just, it doesn't matter. Everyone has the best of intentions, but you just never know when things can go wrong. And your contract is your first line of defense. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like beyond insurance and beyond a business bank account, like have a contract in place, outline everybody's roles and responsibilities in that relationship, no matter what that relationship is. And then I say, of course, it's never too early when you're actually having a paying client. I think there's this misnomer in the photography industry. I don't think, let me rephrase. I know that there is. People kind of think when they're just starting out, like it's not that big of a deal. People aren't paying them that much. But it's actually the flip side of that. Usually those can be the most nagging clients and the people who want the most from you when they're paying you just say $75 for a session because you probably didn't have a contract and expectations weren't there to begin with. Like, what does this even look like? What services are you providing? What can they expect from you? What do they need to give to you? So on and so forth. They're going to ask you to cancel and reschedule like 15 times. Why deal with that? So again, clients absolutely get a contract in place for everything else. I suggest it as well. That's my legal answer. You guys know I'm going to just be like harping (laughs) on you with contracts. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And you know, you bring up a really interesting point too, because I feel like I've noticed that right now I, you know, don't tend to get that many, you know, legal issues, thankfully, knock on wood. But when I started off, it's kind of where I saw the majority of those come up. And so if I could go back to my younger self, I would definitely say it's never too early to get a contract. And I definitely found myself in some quote unquote sticky situations. So, um, (laughs) but yeah, I would love to kind of hear your thoughts on if it's, you know, I know you have a lot of contracts. Is it necessary to have like a licensed attorney draft up a specific contract or are templates okay? What would you kind of recommend in, in your experience? Yeah. So I'm going to dissect your question a little bit because you said licensed attorney. I think there's a difference between like an educator selling their contract and a licensed attorney such as myself selling contract Mm -hmm. templates where I'm an expert in that specific Mm -hmm. field. And then your attorney down the street, who's also a licensed attorney. It's just probably a different type of attorney. So let me kind of parse that out for you. Again, I want to reiterate the legal answer here is you can totally draft your own contract, but will the entirety of it be valid? that would likely be a no. So I always suggest you have a licensed attorney write it. The difference with what's going on right now is there's a lot of educators out there in the online space who kind of thought it would be okay for them to just like pop up their contracts on their website and sell them. The problem is, is there is absolutely no like legal way that you can go about that. It's actually the unauthorized practice of the law and they shouldn't be doing it. And just imagine like if something were to happen with your contract, who would you go to? 
who could you rely on to give you answers and or what is the liability there? Like their risk of selling those is extremely high um, because they are doing something that is honestly illegal and not allowed if they were to get caught. But I think people are just risky and they don't think there's a lot of risk involved. And so they're willing to just do it, right? Like what is your mm-hmm. risk level? We're going to talk about that with insurance, but I digress. So licensed attorneys, absolutely. The weird thing about contracts now is they're so specialized. You need to think about it like a doctor who specializes in a very, very specific field. The same goes for licensed attorneys. So if you're just reaching out to a small business attorney down the street, they may have absolutely no idea what you do, what type of business you run, how you market, what your client's expectations are. And that's very different than getting someone like myself who has been in the online world, in the wedding industry world, and in the photography world for almost a decade. And so when you get a contract template from something like the legal page shop or other online virtual attorneys that specialize in this specific type of legal practice, you are getting a way better contract than you would get from an attorney down the street. And then just to add on to that, of course, because we are selling contract templates to people in a variety of different states in the United States, it is very different than like doctors and CPAs. The legal profession is still very much state-based and you can't really like move around too much. So we always have disclaimers that yes, you should get it reviewed by an attorney in your state, but it's going to be way less costly to have them just do a bunch of check marks on a contract that's extremely solid. And we know it's solid because we have hundreds of people use it all over the country. And we base our contract templates just off of general contract principles. We have our finger in the industry throughout the entire nation as well. So we know what cases are happening and different like precedent in various states and how that might trickle down. All to say our contracts are extremely solid. Contract templates for the most part are going, if they're from like a very experienced attorney in that field, are going to get you 99% of the way there. When like an attorney down the street might only get you 70% of the way there. Like they're going to miss things. And then you're going to have to go back and forth and kind of explain to them what you do and how you need that like liability clause in your contract. But if they have one in front of them and then they're just checking like an indemnification clause and I, I don't know, a severability clause, like some miscellaneous boilerplate language that may be state specific, they're just going to give you the check mark or they're going to change like a word in that clause. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And that's super helpful too. I think that made a lot of sense to me because when I started, I also had like a friend who, well, you know, a family member (laughs) who is like has a CPA and drafted up my original contract, which I definitely felt was like the 70%. But I also missed that like crucial 30%, which is where I got hit and where the loopholes kind of were found. And then as soon as I got one of your contract templates and I just felt like since then, I've not had any legal issues. Again, knock on wood here, but (laughs) you know, fully covered in that sense. And you have clauses that have helped me, you know, add in like your associate clause that has really helped. So I do feel very covered. And just to your point that it is really important to have someone who specializes like with your background and everything in that industry. So I appreciate you sharing that. I I feel fully comfortable and confident with contracts and everything, but I did kind of want to move forward and talk about just about, you know, making your business 
legal. We talked about sole proprietorship, LLC. That's a huge big question mark, I feel like, for a lot of photographers and just business owners starting out, what the difference between the two of them is. And at what point would you recommend someone go ahead and then register their business as an LLC? Yeah. Okay. So I get this question a lot. Let me just explain the difference between the two. So a sole proprietorship is legitimately just an arm and extension of yourself as a person. So you're filing your taxes still through a personal tax return. Your business is under your social security number. It doesn't have like a separate federal EIN number, anything like that. A sole proprietorship isn't registered through your state. Like I said, it's just like what you are when you start a business default name for the type of business structure that you are. You should probably register your business name with your state. But with photographers in particular, I always find that they're like, no, we have to move to an LLC. I don't necessarily believe in that. I mean, there's a time and a place for LLCs, and I'm going to explain that here in a second. But a lot of people start out as sole proprietors, even for the first year or two, and they just get good insurance. And it doesn't mean that they like have to move to an LLC. There's some states that it's extremely expensive to move to an LLC and cumbersome, like New York and California, for example. Um, and it just doesn't make sense. Like, just stay a sole proprietorship for photographers who are like nomadic or move around a lot, like destination wedding photographers. Sometimes it doesn't make sense either. It's better to just stay a sole proprietor. But you do need levels of protection beyond that, which is probably higher insurance in that regard. Again, as a lawyer for liability purposes, if you really want to separate your personal assets from your business assets have two very distinct sections of income and expenses coming, you know, from all of your accounts. And say you have retirement plans, you have kids, kids, college funds, you have a house, you have cars, like you have assets you want to protect that would behoove you to get a limited liability company. Again, it's state-based, so you really need to check with, you know, how much does it cost? What are your annual or biannual dues for having an LLC? For the most part, though, I can say it's pretty inexpensive. It's like the cheapest insurance you can get for your business, and it plops your entire business into its own bubble. You have to get a business bank account, but a limited liability company does exactly what it states. It limits your personal liability from any negligence or even sometimes intentional issues that can occur with your business. Sometimes intentional acts can link up to you personally, but for the most part, you can keep everything within a business bubble, particularly negligent things that could occur. The things we don't know that we know could happen. We don't want them to happen. It's like not an if, it's a when kind of situation as photographers. So for all intensive purposes, if you're in a state that it's decently inexpensive for you to become an LLC, I say do it. <laughs> Usually mm -hmm. it's between like 50 to $200 and then your dues are you know, anywhere from 20 to like 100 every year or every other year. Like that is the cheapest insurance you can get for your business. And it just really, truly separates what you're doing in your personal life with what you're doing in your business life. Yeah, that's super helpful. And I think that was a really good explanation and something that you've even kind of shared a couple new things with me too. So I'm still learning here, but no, I really appreciate you sharing that. 
And you mentioned that, you know, every state kind of has their own rules and regulations. So let's say someone feels that, you know, they're ready to, you know, set up an LLC. What are some best resources for this? Do you have any tips on that? Yeah, absolutely. So first thing I want you to do is like Google how to set up LLC in X state. Now go to a .gov website. <laughs> Make sure it's a .gov website. A bunch of things are going to come up in the search tab, but the in the top five to 10 should be a .gov website. That means it's a government sponsored and actual government website. Usually it's your secretary of state. Sometimes it's like uh, a department of a certain state or a certain portion of your state, but you will be on a government website They sometimes are archaic. I will say since 2020, like the government's done a really good job of getting online because they didn't have a choice. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so the whole world went online in 2020 and all of these like government sites that weren't really there had to step up to the plate and they, they, they did. So for the most part, you guys, it is really easy to do yourself. If you have a CPA saying they're going to do it, if you have your lawyer friend saying they're going to do it and charge you, it really isn't necessary. This is totally something you can DIY. And I honestly suggest it for a variety of purposes. There are businesses like LegalZoom or your CPA that might charge you additional fees to set up your LLC and then to like remind you of your dues. And you kind of want to avoid all of that. It's also good for notice purposes for like your email and wherever your business address is to be the one that is the first line of notification for things. So I suggest you kind of know that as well. The only thing with registering your LLC yourself is you have to know who you want as a registered agent for your business. So when you file for an LLC registration through your state, they will ask you, okay, who do you want to be the agent that's registered on file publicly? They have to have a physical address, so it can't be a PO box. And sometimes people don't want that to be their home. If you're primarily working out of your home, then you may just need to find another registered agent, either in your city or your home state. You can absolutely find those through Google or just, you know, searching with your colleagues as well. And you'll need to list them when you're filing. We at the legal page have DL DIY LLC registration guides where we literally walk you through the steps in every single state. So if you're in Minnesota and you want to register your business, you can download one of our guides. It's going to give you the exact links. It's going to give you snapshots of like where to go and how to do it. So you can definitely do it yourself. If you're like, this is not my jam page. I don't want to do it. Um, then definitely find yourself a good attorney or a CPA to do it for you. Please try to avoid these online sites that are trying to file for you because they end up charging you hundreds, if not thousands of dollars down the road. And it's just not necessary. Find someone that's in your home state to do it for you. And that is a licensed professional, such as an attorney or a CPA. That's super helpful for me to hear too. And I'm actually finding myself in this situation. I'm going to check out your checklist because I'm currently right now based in Chicago and I have my CPA who's helped me register my business in Illinois, but I do want to move and relocate hopefully in the future to California. And I've actually looked at, you know, some Facebook groups of like what to do. And, you know, I've seen the legal zoom. So I'm really glad you kind of shut that down and close that door, but I'm definitely going to be checking out your checklist because I need, you know, kind of just what to do. And I had no idea about the agents. So that was super helpful. Yeah. And I appreciate you sharing that. 
Oh, of course. And in your specific situation, which comes up all of the time for photographers who (laughs) just live a more entrepreneurial lifestyle, they like to move around. This is very common. You would either, you know, kind of need to decide if you're going to shoot a little bit still in Illinois and you're going to keep part of your business there and customer base there, then you could still continue to be an Illinois LLC, but you would need to file as what's called a foreign entity in the states that you are also having a majority of customers in, you know? So if you're like a a third in Illinois and say a third in California and let's do like a third in Oregon, you could stay Mm -hmm. in Illinois LLC, but you'd register as what's called a foreign LLC in California and Oregon. And sometimes that is just less expensive. Also for people who are like, I don't know where I'm going to be in 10 years, but I might move around, right? For a couple years here and a couple years there. Like, why would you close down LLCs in various states and keep reopening them in other states? Like, you have to get new EINs. You have to get new bank accounts. Like, it is so cumbersome and costly and annoying. So uh, I just, I suggest the former versus the latter. Mm -hmm. And then I will say, like, if you're like, okay, who do I go to? You guys just reach out to us. We have been around for a while now, the legal page has, and we have a good attorney referral list. So if anything, and you're like in this specific situation that you're explaining here, I can probably point you to at least an attorney that can either help you or point you to somebody in that specific state that they know about. Like we're all a web of connections here as lawyers. So just don't Mm -hmm. hesitate to reach out. Well, I really appreciate you sharing that because honestly, this is something that I've been kind of going back and forth with for the past few years of being in Illinois and California and deciding what to do. And I, this foreign entity registration is just completely blew my mind. So I'm definitely going to be reaching out to you myself. (laughs) So I really appreciate you sharing that. And, you know, kind of along those lines, I did also want to touch on taxes because I know this is really big and people are never sure when to start their taxes, how to do their taxes. So I think the first thing I just wanted to ask is, do you need to actually register your business to pay taxes? Yeah, no. (laughs) Income is income no matter where it's derived from. I think I learned that day one of my federal law tax class. And I just, I have this professor in my mind right now that's like saying income is income no matter where it's derived from. So that's my answer to you all. (laughs) You know, like we're technically supposed to be paying income on like things we sell from our house. Like you technically are. Um, Are we all skirting around that? Probably. (laughs) Right. Because it's like really (laughs) hard for anyone to track. But if you have an actual business, it's actually way easier to track. They can find you on social media. Like you're making a decent amount of additional like side hustle income. And with that, you have to pay taxes on it. Um, So you'll have to pay your self-employment taxes, federal taxes, and then, you know, state taxes that are applicable in your state. Some states have income tax, some states don't. And then, you know, other additional things that like, you know, UI and things along those lines. So yes, if you're making $500, it doesn't matter if you're a sole proprietor, you need to be putting that on your tax return, your personal tax return. Mm-hmm. Of course, if you're making, you know, five, ten thousand dollars <laughs> like if you're not paying taxes on that, 
good luck. Like you're probably going to get caught. So just don't do it. It's just not worth it. And people who are like just starting out as business owners too, it's okay if your expenses equal more than your income. That's really common. The IRS and your state government isn't going to like flag you for the first couple of years if you're in the red and you won't have to pay taxes probably if you're in the red. But again, they need to know that you are a business, that you are starting and they like to see that trajectory. They like to see that you kind of started out, right? Like trying to hit break even or just a little bit in the red or even just a little bit in the black. Mm -hmm. And then they like to see you kind of progressing from there, right? You are a for-profit company, so you should be seeing a little bit of profit from year after year. Definitely. That's super helpful. And I appreciate you sharing that. I think one of the biggest questions that I get from other photographers are like, oh, if I'm making less than so-and-so amount, do I have to pay taxes? And like you said, income is income, right? And so you have to pay no matter what you make. And I would agree with that, obviously. (laughs) That's what I do. But I did want to ask too, like just in terms of filing and paying taxes, is it back when I was working a corporate job, I just did it yearly come April. What is your thoughts on filing taxes quarterly? Is it necessary? If you're an entrepreneur, should you do that? It really depends on where you're at in your business journey. So people who are just starting out, like you have no idea what your income and expenses are going to look like, right? Again, you're going to try to break even. You might be in the red a little bit. That first year, it's okay to not pay quarterly taxes unless you're a business that suddenly makes like 10, 20, $30,000 in like a month or two, then you can probably expect that you're going to have a hefty tax bill. And according to the IRS, if you are expected to pay more than $1000 in taxes each year which if you're you know if you're kind of breaking that down it's probably around 5 to $10,000 of like income depending on where your tax brackets are again it's all like a gray area here i can't give you just like a black and white answer but if you're in that ballpark you can probably expect that you're going to be paying you know, around 20% or, you know, 10 to 20% of taxes. So of your income in taxes, which means that you need to be paying quarterly. But again, you're probably, you're not going to get hit. Like the IRS isn't going to penalize you for your first year in business. What they're mainly going to penalize people for is like year two, definitely year three, four and five. When you like No, you can kind of project, okay, this is the income that I'm going to make. It's absolutely going to be $1,000 or more. The IRS Mm -hmm. has your returns from the previous year and they're going to be like, you paid us more than $1,000, so you need to be paying quarterly taxes now. So that is kind of where people get into a pickle is they just start paying annual taxes year after year after year without, and they're doing it themselves, right? They're filing through Mm H&R Block or TurboTax or whatever. You're doing your own taxes, which is common and totally fine. You can do it. I'm not telling you you can't do it, but just know if, okay, I'm filing my taxes here in April, 2023 for the business year 2022. And I'm paying you know, $1,700 in taxes from my business from last year, then you can expect for this year that you should probably start setting up quarterly tax payments. Got it. Okay. I see. So I, you know, I actually have, I do pay quarterly taxes, but I never really knew the reason behind it. Is it just to keep you on track for the year? Is that the reason for it? 
Yeah, it's absolutely to keep you on track and also just so the IRS has like checkpoints for you throughout the year. Mm-hmm. And for businesses that are newer, um, they're startup, they're rapidly growing, it saves you from having a massive tax bill at the yeah. end of the year. So lots of yeah. CPAs will tell people like, no, 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 we're going to set you up with quarterlies right away. Mm-hmm. Because you don't want to end up with like a $15,000 tax bill and you only have, you know, like seven in your business bank account. And you're like, crap, I used all the rest for like paying myself. Um, (laughs) So it's just best practice to set yourself up for quarterly taxes as early as possible. But again, if you guys are listening to this and you're the first year in business, it's a-okay to just wait until your first business year is done. And remember, business year is like January 1st through December 31st. So whenever you start your business in that period. Awesome. Yeah. No, I appreciate you explaining that and just touching on taxes. I feel like taxes is also, I think, you know, just the legal aspect of starting any sort of business is just a big kind of question mark. And I feel like we've really gone through and just hit every single point. So I really appreciate you sharing that. I think one of the last things, and we kind of touched on this earlier, is talking about insurance, business insurance, which is funny that we're going to be talking about it. My husband always says, why do you need business insurance? You never use it. And I'm like, that's the point. So I wanted <laughs> I wanted uh, the legal page, at page, I wanted you to come on here and just talk about why is having business insurance so important and at what point should you get insurance? Yeah, I really wish business insurance was legally mandated like car insurance was because it's the same thing, right? Like our partners could be, why do we pay a thousand dollars of car insurance when we don't use it? It's because you're a good driver. I'm really proud of you. And I'm also proud that whomever these random people are next to you are not bumping into you. Like who knows? You cannot control anyone other than your own things that you can control. That's why we have car insurance. Mm -hmm. The same goes for business insurance. Like you just don't know what could happen. Negligent acts is what is going to be covered under just a business commercial liability policy, like your general liability policy. That's important for photographers. We have lots of things that people could trip over that we could like, hit. We have lighting, we have gear, those type of situations. Also, I'm not going to go, you know, into a massive story here, but if you were to lose images or something were to malfunction with your camera, that is where your insurance would kick in because that's a negligent act by you. It's not intentional by any means, but usually insurance will cover those types of situations above and beyond sometimes what your maximum amount is listed in your contract. So like I was saying, contract first line of defense, say you have like a maximum damage liability in your contract of the contracted price. So your package price was say $5,000, but then say you lost the entire ceremony, like your, I don't know, SD card failed or you wiped it or like something weird happened with your camera and you don't have anything with the ceremony and all their guests, like you can't redo that. You just can't redo that. And so in that situation, like your insurance policy would kick in. And if there's emotional damages or damages above and beyond, like something that a client could claim, they would probably pay out more to satisfy that claim. So, you know, the $400 you paid in business insurance could end up saving you $20,000 this year. (laughs) Yeah. Hopefully that makes a little bit of sense as I'm putting like dollars and cents to this type of situation. And then for photographers in particular and videographers, um, people with lots of gear and equipment and expensive gear and equipment, make sure you get an additional rider or umbrella coverage for your gear and equipment. It's usually above and beyond your regular, just general liability policy. You just want to cover it for, you know, the total amount of all of your camera and lenses and computer and 
any type of additional external hard drives you have, memory cards, those type of things. So usually photographers will get gear and equipment insurance, you know, if you're, if your $4,000 lens like falls and breaks, which can happen, it's happened to me. It's really nice to just pay a deductible of $150 to get that lens back than to pay another $4,000 yourself. Mm -hmm. So I know photographers like to self-insure for gear Mm -hmm. and equipment. I know they do. Like I've been there, I've done it. But the minute I got business insurance, it's like, oh, well, that actually saved me in the long run, right? It's a long game with insurance and the unknown game with insurance. So it's not mandated, but you absolutely should get it because you just never know what's going to happen. And again, insurance, I just want to reiterate this so you guys get it in your heads. Your contract is first line of defense and protection. Your business bank account is actually second. So having that separate, if something liability wise were to happen, right? Like you're going to go to your contract language first. If that isn't resolved or your client's still unhappy, you're going to go to, okay, like, is this a partial refund situation or full refund situation? That's going to be coming out of your business bank account. And then if it's like more than that and you're having even more issues, you're above and beyond the contract, you're above and beyond what the contracted price was and probably what's in your bank account, then you would go to your insurance company. So like boom, 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 three lines of defense is really good to have as a photographer. I appreciate you sharing that. I think that that is extremely helpful and necessary to hear. Like I said, the first thing that I did too when starting my business was getting a contract. I think it's something that's ingrained, but still I get students of mine that I mentor who are like, oh, I don't have it yet. I'm like, what are you doing? It's <laughs> not, it's crazy. And it's like, you have all the contracts right there in your shop. And it's like every single contract that I need or any clause that I've ever needed, it's right there and it's already done for you. So it's like, it's a no brainer for me. So I, I have to agree. And obviously. But no, I really appreciate you sharing that. And business insurance, I'm going to have my husband listen to this episode because I think (laughs) he needs a little reminder of insurance and what that is. But yeah, as I guess just as a final question, I wanted to ask if if there are any, you know, legal mistakes that you commonly see that photographers or entrepreneurs make without realizing they're making them. And just kind of if so, like, what are they and how should they correct them? Yeah. The last thing I'll say about insurance before I answer that question is you guys, it's a write-off for your business. So like (laughs) it's a good expense. It's a really solid expense to put on your P&L. So again, I'm just telling your partner to listen to that part. (laughs) Um, Like it's worth it, right? Just like shoot an extra session and cover your biggest weddings. Like that Mm -hmm. makes the most sense to me. Okay. So number one, I have found that photographers in particular like sometimes hire subcontractors, like a second shooter, or you hire an associate or something along those lines. The biggest mistake I see is that they don't realize they're ultimately liable for their subcontractors. Like that's just general contractor to subcontractor situation here. You absolutely need to be aware that you are responsible for those subcontractors abiding by the terms of your agreement with your client. Your contract with that subcontractor is probably going to look a little bit different, right? You're going to disclaim liability, yada, yada. But at the end of the day, the clients are going to come to you. And I think photographers just have this weird like hands-off approach. And I'm like, that's just not how it works. Like Mm -hmm. your clients are going to come to you. You're the lead photographer, the one that they are hiring. And with the insurance conversation that we're having right now, if you have an insurance policy, I can guarantee it excludes contractors. It is a business exclusion in almost every single commercial general liability policy. So you are responsible for ensuring that your subcontractors, your second shooters and associates probably have their own insurance. 
like make sure they have it and they, you know, you're signing a contract with them for second shooting or, you know, for being an associate, but also that they're supplying you. If they are indeed an independent contractor, they need to be their own business and they need to supply you with a copy of their insurance policy. So you're like, okay, we're good because if something were to happen, like, my client's double covered here. They're covered with me, but they're also covered with this contractor. And if something were to happen with, you know, a contractor messing up, their policy would kick in first before your policy. And that's important. So that is a big thing that I see a lot in the wedding industry. So you guys, please, please have contracts with your second shooters and associates, and please make sure they have their own insurance. If you are just hiring your friend to like help you second shoot or you're trying to train, that's fine. Just know your liability risk is like your meter is going way up. It's like really close to hot and high there. So just if that's the world you want to live in, you do it. Like you base jump, (laughs) my friend, you do that. I don't suggest living in that world for wedding photography in particular Mm -hmm. because it's like high emotions, high stakes, like you're playing a risky game. And then the second thing is I think photographers try to modify or write up contract templates themselves, or they use like a template version in their CRM system. And they think that they're a hundred percent covered. And usually again, they're like 50 to 70% of the way there. But like you mentioned it, what mm-hmm. about that other 30%, the most critical 30%, just yes. be aware of that. If we could leave you with anything on this episode, it's, it's probably that like there's, holes in your contract. Most likely if you're feeling like a red flag is going up for you right now throughout any of this conversation, then I bet you have a few holes in your contract and it would really be worthwhile for you and good time spent to go through your contract and kind of beef it up a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you bring up those mistakes or just things. And those are two things that I have personally done myself. And actually, the liability, <laughs> I know, I know. And it's so good to hear. It's so important to hear and just protecting yourself, covering yourself, because, you know, that's part of the business that we don't love to think about, but we have to think about. So, on that note, Paige, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on today's episode and sharing all of your super helpful knowledge with us. I wanted to ask if you could please let everyone know where they can find and follow you. That would be awesome. Yeah. Well, I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope it was fruitful and helpful to all of you listening in. I'm the legal page, P-A-I-G-E. It's a playoff of my first name. Surprise, surprise. And you can find me everywhere. Thelegalpage.com, the legal page on Instagram. We have a Facebook community. If you have questions or quagmires, you want to jump in there and ask about your business. We have thousands of really awesome entrepreneurs who are in the same boat as you. So we're all in it together. Those are the, the best places to find me. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. I'll also make sure to include all of your information in the description along with the link to the TLP shop, which has been so helpful for me in my business. But yeah, thank you so much again for coming on the podcast today. And for those who listen to the end, thank you all so much for listening and I'll talk to you guys next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to Photo Tea with Anissa D. If you liked today's episode, please let me know by leaving a review and make sure to follow for more episodes. You can also follow me on Instagram at Anissa D Photography. See you back here next time for a new episode. Bye.